Uh, I want to thank you. I'm really glad that you decided to uh, participate today to be a part of our worship celebration. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6. Mm. Nope, that's not, the pe- that's not the text. It's right after that. So if you're in Luke chapter 6 and you get to like 27, you're in the right t- neighborhood, okay? Uh, and we'll go down after that. Every time I think I've done everything I need to do, I find out that there's stuff I haven't done yet. Can I get an amen? A couple of hands, yes, yeah, okay. We all know what that's like. So this morning, uh, if, you, if you haven't gathered, we're going to be talking about love. Uh, because that's what Jesus does. But I want us to think about this for a moment. Uh, okay, what I'm about to say, if you want to send me an email, it's pastormarkhaines at gmail.com. <laughs> but sometimes Jesus says things that leave me going, are you serious? Uh, we're going to be at, looking at part of that right now uh, in just a few moments. Uh, this is a beautiful time to be talking about how, to tr- how God expects us to treat each other. Uh, I hear these kinds of things in discussions. They started it, but we're going to finish it. Now, my parents used to say that to me when, and my sister when we would get into it. You guys have started it, but we're going to finish it. That means something completely different than me saying to her, you started it and now I'm going to finish it, right? Uh, good luck on that one, Mark. Uh, they did it first. They don't deserve any help because, and fill in the blank. And who are they? We should fill in that blank too. Uh, they, they deserve all the bad things that could ever possibly happen to them because... Fill in the blank. Uh, They do worse things than I do. We think that they're going to hit us. So we'll hit them first. So the question is this morning... Uh, well, I'll get to the question in a moment. Wow, I'm lost. Yeah. So who sets the standard? Who sets the standards for how we treat each other? Now, I know some of you have been in church a long time and you're about to answer that. for. But let me make this a more specific question. Who sets the standards for Jesus' followers and how they treat each others? Not just each other, but others. Who sets the standards? Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're just kind of checking things out or you're wondering what's going on or what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that what we're about to talk about does not specifically apply to you. And I'm also going to stick my neck out here and apologize to you for every Christian who's ever tried to tell you that you're supposed to act like they do. I'm going to tell everybody who's sitting in this room that's a follower of Jesus, you don't expect people who are not followers of Jesus. You should not expect people who are not followers of Jesus to act like followers of Jesus. They should act like what they are. Now, 
we hope that they will become followers of Jesus. And by the way, uh, I let everybody who's not a follower of, of Jesus off the hook. Unless, of course, you eventually say yes to Jesus' invitation and you begin following him. So you might want to take notes on this for the future. But for those of us who are following Jesus and we don't make any uh, qualms about admit, uh, professing that and saying that I'm a follower of Jesus, uh, so we've got to ask this question, who sets the standard for how Jesus' followers treat each other? That's a good question. And it's not as easy as you think the answer is. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 6, so I'm going to do, do something. Uh, I was taught that context is everything. Uh, political ads are a good, by the way, political ads are a good way to find out that context is everything. You can take one line out of something somebody said sometime in the last 60 years and then say, well, if they think that, then obviously they think something way over there. That's the way all, many of the political ads run. They take one comment completely out of context to convince you that the devil is the one that is the other candidate and you need to vote for the, their candidate because he's not the devil. So here's what I figured out. None of them are the devil. They're all human beings. That's as far as I'm going. Because <laughs> that's as good as it gets. I'm sorry. Uh, let's go back here. The context is everything. Before we dive into what Jesus says here in, in what Luke calls the Sermon on the Plain, basically, uh, I want to set some context. At the beginning of the chapter, in Luke chapter 6, in verse, is verses 6 through 11, it tells us a story about how Jesus went to a synagogue for the service. It's a Saturday because Jesus was Jewish. And Jewish people go to the synagogue on Saturdays. Because, well, let's, okay. That's what, that's the way it is. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered, deformed. He'd never been able to use it. Now, pause for a moment. Many of us who are right-handed would find that very uncomfortable. But he lived in a time and in a culture where left hand was always dirty. They never ate with the left hand. They never drank with the left hand. If somebody handed you something with the left hand, it was an ultimate insult. And that's all he's got. I don't know. People may need it. He may have had to have family feed him. It was not a good thing to have a deformed, withered, unusable right hand. And he was in the synagogue. And the experts in the law, the religious leaders, watched Jesus closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath, on Saturday, the day of worship and rest, so that they could find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Get up and stand here. So 
he rose and he stood there. And Jesus said to the religious leaders who were gathered around and trying to figure out a way to trap him, I ask you a question. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save a life or to destroy it? After looking around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. I'm going to stop right there for a second. I want you to put yourself in his place. I think that command probably ignited a firestorm of mixed emotions and thoughts in this guy. I mean, desperation. He's made me stand up in front of all these people, all my family and all my friends and everybody who's known me for years and they all know and I know I've never been able to do anything with my right hand. I can't do anything with my right hand and I'm in front of everybody and this guy's told me I need to stretch out my hand. But I also think there was a little bit of hope because I think Deep inside, the Holy Spirit was whispering to him a simple statement. If Jesus commands you to do it, even if it's impossible, he will help you do it. Mm-hmm. So back to the story. The man did so. And his hand was restored. But the religious leaders were filled with mindless rage and began debating with one another what they would do to Jesus. I just want to, sometimes we get so, as human beings, that's too blunt, Mark, don't say it that way. Thoughtless. Ignorant. Uh, They just saw this man They didn't believe he was anything else but a man. But they just saw him do something only God can do, and now they want to kill him for it. Try to put that logic together. He does stuff only God can do. we got to kill him. To which I would say, if I was a little mouse in the corner, whose side are you on? So... Jesus, it tells us, has calls his 12 disciples and appoints them to be apostles. And he comes down from the mountain where he spent the night in prayer and appointed them. And he comes down from the mountain and there are people there from all over Judea and even Gentiles from Tyre and Sidon. Uh, all over the Middle East, people who were coming to Jesus because he was healing them. They came to hear him. They wanted to hear what he had to say, but they also wanted to experience healing from their diseases and to be released from unclean spirits and evil spirits. The whole crowd, it tells us in Luke uh, chapter 6, the whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him to heal them all. Okay? So Jesus is releasing people from demonic oppression, He's healing the blind. He's 
speaking to them and teaching them. He's doing all kinds of things. These people are watching him do things that only God can do. And then he starts to talk to them. And one of the things he says to them, before we get into the focus for today, one of the things he says to them is, blessed are you when people hate you. When they exclude you and insult you and reject you as evil on account of the Son of Man. I want to, I want to stop here because I believe it's extremely important for us, who claim, uh, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, to understand that Jesus did not say, blessed are you when people hate you, exclude you, insult you, and reject you as evil because you're a jerk. That's your problem. That's our problem. But if you're rejected because you're following Jesus, he says, rejoice on that day and jump in for joy because great is your reward. Then he also reminds them, woe to you when all people speak well of you for their ancestors did the same things with the false prophets. Now he continues that thought, that idea that there, if you're following him, there will probably be people who reject you and hate you and insult you and consider you evil because you're following him. I mean, after all, he just had a whole bunch of people at the synagogue figuring out how they could get rid of him. He knows. He knows. He says in Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 27. But I say to you who are listening, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. To the person who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other as well. And from the person who takes away your coat, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks you, and do not ask for your possessions back from the person who takes them. Then he says, treat others in the same way you would want them to treat you. Pause for a moment. Just to, People have said, well, all kinds of people from Confucius to other people at Muhammad and other people have said that kind of thing. It is true they said something similar. What everybody has said is probably something your parents said to you. Do you like it when so-and-so does that to you? Well, then you shouldn't do that to them. That's what... It, that's what Confucius said. That's what Muhammad said. That's what all the others said. Jesus flips that around and says, think about what you want done to you, and then you go do that to them. Now, of course, that will keep you from smacking them because you don't like to be smacked, right? But if you like to be treated well and kindly, it's your responsibility to go first and treat others kindly and respectfully. 
Matthew. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, that's part of the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew's recording of these teachings of Jesus. He's, he said, in everything treat others as you would want to treat them to treat you, for this fulfills the law and the prophets. Well, I read that this week and I went, wait a minute, I've heard that phrase before. That fulfills the law and the prophets. Where have I heard that before? So I looked it up. I don't memorize the Bible. I don't mean I don't have the whole Bible memorized. Well, okay, let's just be honest. I have a couple verses memorized. Uh, so I have to look things up like everybody else. In, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said to a man who said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, well, the first one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it or as important as it. <coughs> love your neighbor as yourself. All the, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. And it also found that Paul says something very similar to that in his letter to the Romans. In Romans chapter 13, he says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves his neighbors has fulfilled the law. For the commands, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and if there is any other command... They're summed up in this, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So it, what does it mean to love your neighbor? Well, if I take Jesus seriously, it means that I treat them the way I want to be treated. I don't treat them the way they treated me. I don't simply avoid treating them the way they, you know, the way I don't want to be treated. But I actively go first in treating them the way I want to be treated. That's what it means to love our neighbors. Jesus goes on in Luke chapter 6. He goes on to say, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. I just pause for a minute. Sometimes we, we may think that sinners are really bad people. Sinners can be really good people. They just aren't following Jesus. Sinners can actually be church people. Don't mm -hmm. oh, remember the email address. It's okay. Uh, you know, if you lend to those from whom you hope to to be repaid, what credit is that to you? Uh, even sinners lend to sinners so that they may be repaid in full. But you love your enemies. Right, just for a moment, let me remind you of what that means. That means treat your enemies the way you want to be treated. You go first. Love your enemies and do good and land expecting nothing back. Then your reward will be great and you will be called sons and daughters. You will be sons and daughters of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and evil people. 
be merciful just as your father is merciful. Just as your heavenly father is merciful, you're to be merciful. Where, who's the, who sets the standard? God, the heavenly father, God, our heavenly father, Jesus, the whole Trinity, by the way, they're all wrapped up in this. You can't have God the Father without the Son and the Holy Spirit. They do not act independently and they don't show up independently. God is God. Okay, Trinity, let's not try to explain that this morning. Okay, that's probably a good idea. So what does this mean to be merciful as God is merciful? What exactly is he saying to us? Well, this may sound familiar, but I'm going to change the words just a little bit. God is patient. God is kind. God is not envious. God does not brag. God is not puffed up. God is not rude. God is not self-serving. God is not easily angered or resentful. God is not glad about injustice, but rejoices in the truth. God bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And now... Here's the hard part. I'm going to flip that around and let you, in your mind, put your name in there. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is supposed to be a description of you and me. So I'm going to say Mark, but you better say something besides my name. Because if you're trying to figure out how I'm measuring up to this, you are off target. Was that blunt enough? I mean, straightforward enough? Okay. Mark is patient. Mark is kind. Mark is not envious. Mark does not brag. Mark is not puffed up. Mark is not rude. Mark is not self-serving. Mark is not easily angered or resentful. Mark is not glad about injustice, but rejoices in the truth. Mark bears all things. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What's Jesus saying to us? Well, there's a way human beings treat each other. Then there's the way God treats each other, which is like the difference between standing on the surface of the planet and being outside the solar system, at least. It's a completely different realm. It's a completely different approach to life. It's a completely different way of acting. And he says, this is your standard. Doesn't matter what everybody else does. Doesn't matter how everybody else lives. It doesn't matter how anybody treats you. The, the, the standard for you as a follower of Jesus is God's love. Well, are you sure, Pastor? I'm glad you ask. Because I'm not the, uh, th those aren't the only places. Listen to these verses from Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, the Christians who are Jesus followers, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live in love. Well, what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Paul says because he answers it. Live in love just as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrifice, 
and a fragrant offering to God. So our Heavenly Father sets the standard. It doesn't matter if we are nicer than everybody else in the world. Are we loving like Jesus is the question. Are we loving people like our Heavenly Father? That's the question. You can be better than every, all the billions of people in the world. You can be nicer and kinder than all the people in the world and still be so far off base in terms of loving like Jesus. So who sets the standard for how Jesus' followers treat others? The answer is our Heavenly Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. God sets the standard. God is the standard. And he's done it by example. So the sermon in a sentence, what I want you to go home with is this. Love goes first to build bridges no matter what the cost or the response. Let me explain that. If God's the example... He went first. Nobody, nothing exists except for the fact that he went first. He created us. The whole purpose of his creation of the cosmos, the universe, and, and, and us is to give us a place to live because we're that way. He designed us that way, but he designed it us this way and designed us to have a relationship with him. He started the whole thing going first to build relationships with us. He goes first. Jesus didn't wait around in heaven. You notice we read from Philippians chapter 2. We've been doing that a lot because I think we need to think... It's, it's kind of a form of meditation, repeated reading. We need to think about this. Jesus did not wait for us to get our act together before he decided to come and show us what God is like. That's good. Because we still don't have our act together. And yes, I said we, and I didn't mean editorially. I meant we, all seven or eight billion of us are still messed up. Love goes first. Love steps off the throne of heaven, lays aside everything that it means to be God and all the rights and privileges that come with being God and becomes a human being and not just a human being, the lowest rung of society and a sacrifice for the entire human race. There's the standard. Love goes first to build bridges. And it loves first no matter what the cost or the response. Jesus does not love the people who are following him more than he loves the people who are not following him. I want that to sink in for us. We aren't special. We aren't his favorites. Because at the foot of Jesus' cross, it's all level playing, all level field. 
everybody standing there is loved just as much. There's no one loved less and no one loved more. He died for all of us. Not some of us, not most of us, not many of us, not a select few of us. He died for all of us. Which means when we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in case you weren't wondering where that description of God and me came from, it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when he talks about love. What means when we go back there and we look at that, there's not a single person that God does not love in those exact same ways. And there's not a single thing you can do to make God love you more or less. There are things you can do that will keep you from experiencing the benefits of his love. But that's not the same thing. Because his love always takes the first step, always pursues, always seeks to build bridges and relationships. Always, no matter what the cost. Even it costs dying for us. And even if we say no forever... He still loves us. The only way to receive the great reward that Jesus promised is, is to obey his command to love like our Heavenly Father. And the only way that we could ever come close, grow in that obedience to his command to love like God is with the Holy Spirit's help. See, I don't know about you. But when I read those words and hear those words, be merciful, be loving, just as your Father is merciful and loving. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children, just as Jesus loved you and gave himself up for you. When I read those things, I, it ignites a firestorm of mixed emotions in me. Desperation. I've never met anybody who left to themselves was able to love everyone the way God loves everyone. I will never, left to myself, I will never be able to love everyone the way God loves me. There's desperation, but there's also hope because I hear the Holy Spirit whispering quietly, if Jesus commands you to love like your heavenly father, if he commands you to love everybody the way God loves everybody, he will help you. Just, just as God rebuilt the deformed hand of that man in the synagogue a couple thousand years ago, simply from Jesus saying, stretch out your hand. God wants to rebuild the core of our souls until his holy love motivates and shapes all we do and conforms us to his image and makes us more like him. I'm going to be honest. 
if I'm communicating this correctly, we all need to be uncomfortable. Because we all aren't in heaven yet, and so we ain't perfect. In fact, my guess is we have a long ways to go. So how do we overcome the desperation of I can't do this and act in hope and faith and confidence like that man who finally just said, okay. Ugh. I just, just had a moment. Can you imagine the look on his face? Whoa, that's never happened before. What's for lunch? How can we overcome the desperation and act in hope just like he did? Well, we need to be aware of our holy discontent with mere church participation. I, I, the Holy Spirit stirs up within us this, this sense that there's got to be more than simply going through the motions. And, and so if we're not aware that, that we don't have this sense of holy discontent with, with just going through the motions and, and doing the right things and saying the right prayers and being at the right place at the right time, if we don't sense that, we need to come to the place where we recognize God has put something in us that wants to grow beyond just showing up. And we also need to admit our absolute dependence on the Holy Spirit for, for this rebuild of our souls. We can't do it. If we're thinking, oh, I, got, I can do that. We're nuts. Oh, I'm sorry. We're not correct. We're crazy. No, it's not. We are misled and deceiving ourselves. We cannot love people like God loves people without the Holy Spirit's help. Because some of them are just, well, you know. You know, because you've been listening to them in the back of your minds. Yeah, but what about them? What about them? Let me tell you what about them. Whoever it is that's been popping in the back of your mind, even if it was me. <laughs> yes. Love them, too. The same way you love everybody else. See, there comes to come a point when we make a decisive surrender and submission to Jesus as our king. You know, it, he's got to be the one in charge of our lives completely. I mean, it's, it's got to go beyond just forgiveness. And feeling better. It's got to go completely through surrender and submission to our king. We're Americans. We don't understand kings very well. But let me explain to, something to you about a king. When a king says do something, you don't say, well, I'm not sure I really want to do that. When a king says do it, you do it. You know, if our, if our governor says something, uh, we all know this is true. If our governor says something, 
many of us can go, yeah, I don't think so. What are you going to do about it? If our president says do something, I've, I've, been, I've seen all kinds of presidents, and none of them can tell any of us as citizens what to do. However, if you're in the armed forces and the president tells you to do something, well, that's a different story. Right? Because he's the commander-in-chief. There's nobody to appeal to. There's, right? When, when Jesus is our king, when he says, do this, we do it. We don't argue with him. We may try to argue with him. I've done it a few times. I've lost every time. I've been glad I lost. Eventually. So I'm inviting you to ask the Holy Spirit to stir up within you a discontent with how you are. A holy dissatisfaction that makes you want to go, I want something only God can do in my life. I want Jesus to be my king and I want his love to motivate and shape everything I do towards every person I meet. Let's pray. It's a, it's a simple prayer, Holy Spirit, but it's a true prayer. And it is our heart's deepest desire. It is our confession and our invitation. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Awaken an awareness of holy discontent. We want far more than forgiveness and habitual rituals. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Just as you rebuilt the hand of that man through Jesus' command, rebuild the core of our souls until your holy love motivates and shapes all we do. Don't let us settle for less. Don't let us settle for comfortable. Don't let us settle for the status quo. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. We quickly and completely confess our absolute dependence on you to transform us. Willpower won't do it. Affirmations won't do it. Memorizing the Bible won't do it. Praying 12 hours a day won't do it. We need you to fill us with your infinite love. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you. Because we want to love the way our Father loves. Amen. Well, I want to thank you for uh, connecting with us, either here 
or online. And uh, I want to remind you, those of you who are followers of Jesus, you are living in enemy-occupied territory. Your mission is to join King Jesus in the great campaign of sabotage and to ultimately undermine the rebellion against him as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. How do we do that? How do we sabotage this kingdom, this dominion of darkness? How do we do that? We take our marching orders from a prayer that St. Francis prayed. Some of this you may sound a little vaguely familiar. I've changed it a little bit. But whether it's in your heart, in your neighbor's life, or in your community and nation, where there is hatred, spread God's amazing love. Where there is hurt, propagate pardon. Where there is doubt, plant seeds of faith. Where there is despair, infuse hope. Where there is darkness, shine Jesus' light. Where there is sadness, circulate joy and comfort. Your mission is clear. You are sent. So go with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah.